0: Well, how's everybody this morning? I woke up. I see the sun. Actually, when I woke up, it wasn't all that sunny out at the time. But, you know, and then I looked out. um, We have a flat roof outside uh, where my study is. There was actually a little frost, and I'm like, oh, man, here we go. But anyway, uh, I'm excited because beautiful weather, and and it's spring, and I just enjoy this season of the year. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been to a, a Passover Seder? So half a dozen, maybe 10, 10 or so of you. If you, have, if you ever have an opportunity to go to a Passover Seder, you need to do it because it's part of our heritage as Christians, uh, Passover. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning as we lead to it uh, into a discussion of the Lord's Supper. But um, as I mentioned on uh, Easter Sunday, and, and some of you knew this before... I grew up in a mixed religious home. My father came from a Lutheran background. My mom was from a Jewish background. So we would, uh, at Christmas time, we would celebrate both Christmas and Hanukkah. And in the springtime, we'd celebrate both Easter and Passover. And all four of those holidays meant absolutely nothing to me other than like opportunity to get presents, to eat some interesting food, to get those solid chocolate Easter bunnies, which are the best, the hollow ones, skip those sorts of things. Uh, But I, I remember growing up and I remember probably half a dozen times or so when I was growing up, we would head up, I grew up in Ma- in uh, Connecticut, we'd head up to Massachusetts where my mom's relatives were, uh, grandma and grandpa, and we would celebrate uh, Passover with all of my cousins. And And there was a lot of fun with that. It was a great time to get the extended family together. I didn't see my cousins all that often. Good opportunity to, to do that. And we would celebrate a Passover Seder. And I always remember the one of the first things that you would do in the Seder is the youngest kid would get to ask this question, why is this night different from all other nights? And I I think once, maybe twice, uh, I was the youngest who was actually able to read, so I was able to ask that question. And it, I felt really good. I had no idea why I was asking that question. I had no idea what the answer was to that question, but I knew it was important to get to ask it, so I, I, I did that. And my grandfather, you know, the patriarch of of that side of the family, would be the one who would uh, answer that question, uh, usually, interestingly, with commentary from my aunts and uncles. And I had one particular aunt who liked to give a lot of commentary on the particular foods, especially those that weren't the most tasty, like the bitter herbs and the gefilte fish. I have no clue exactly what gefilte fish is. I just knew it was not something that you would want to eat on a regular basis unless, uh, anyway. Um, You know, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed being with my cousins and my aunts and my uncles, but I really didn't get what was going on. And, And grandpa would explain that we as Jews would celebrate At Passover, we were looking back, we were remembering when God had delivered our ancestors from slavery in Egypt. And, you know, I had never read anything in the Bible at that point, anything in the Old Testament. And so I really didn't understand any of the significance of this. It was all new. It was all different to me. But I was glad that I was able to celebrate that tradition with my family. So fast forward, uh, actually let's go back, about 2000 years to roughly this time of the year, April 2nd actually it was, in the year 33 AD. And a group of 13 Jewish men got together to celebrate the Passover. And this was something that they had done on a regular basis every year. And they got together to celebrate the Passover. And uh, a few hundred years later, a guy named Leo uh, gave a little painting, made a little painting of uh, that meal. We know it as the Last Supper. And I think what most impresses me about uh, da Vinci's painting is that he actually got everybody to sit on the same side of the table so that it would be a lot easier so that you could see their faces, you know. Uh, but, but as Christians, as Christians, we forget that the roots of the Last Supper are actually the Jewish Passover Seder, the Jewish Passover celebration. Some of us don't even know that because we've never really talked about it, you know? And we miss some of the depth and some of the meaning of what it is that we're doing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which actually comes out of the Last Supper. We miss some of that depth and some of that meaning because we're not considering what was going on in the Passover. And what was interesting that night... One of the younger disciples, I don't know which one it was. I kind of like to think that it was Thaddeus. I like that name Thaddeus. So I I kind of feel like he, maybe he was the youngest guy. I have no basis for that, but it's just, it's fun for me to think of it that way. Thaddeus or whomever it was asked the question, why is this night different from all other nights? And Jesus, who was the host that night of the Passover meal, Jesus began to answer his question. And what's interesting is the traditions of the Jewish people have been passed down for centuries. And my understanding is that even today, uh, the Jewish celebration of Passover is very, very similar to the celebration of Passover that Jesus and his disciples had that evening. And throughout the evening, Jesus was explaining the significance of the food that they were eating. He was explaining the significance of the traditions that they were practicing. And he was saying, you know, the bitter herbs are a reminder of the tears of our ancestors. And we eat unleavened bread this night, different than most other nights. We're eating unleavened bread this night in order to remind ourselves that our ancestors didn't have time for their bread to rise when they were leaving uh, Egypt because they had to, to leave so quickly, and he explained the difference, the, 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 the significance of those different foods and those different uh, practices during the meal. But at two times during the meal, he said something that would have shocked his, his Jewish followers, his Jewish friends at that point. Two things he said were different that night than any other night when they had celebrated the Passover. And the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early Christian church, uh, records what Jesus said that night. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For a thousand years, for more than a thousand years, the Jews had been eating that bread. They had been drinking that cup. They'd been drinking that wine. And they had been understanding the significance of the bread and the wine and all of the other foods and all of the other traditions. They have been understanding the significance of those foods and those traditions in light of God delivering them from bondage to slavery in Egypt. And yet that night, Jesus says something that would have shocked them. He says, the Passover is ultimately about me. The Passover is ultimately about my death The Passover, yes, it is about the release from bondage to slavery in Egypt, but it's also, and it's ultimately about the release from bondage to sin and death that I'm gonna provide for you when my body is broken for you and when my blood is shed for you. Radical concept. Why is this night different from all other nights? It's because it's the night that I'm revealing, Jesus is saying, that I'm revealing to you that I'm giving my life for yours. And that the Passover is actually pointing forward to what I'm about to do for you tomorrow on what we now as Christians refer to, to, to Good Friday, refer to as Good Friday. And then within two months, actually the next day Jesus dies Three days later, Easter Sunday, he rises from the dead. And within two months, his followers are now celebrating a new symbolic meal. The Passover was a symbolic meal where they looked back at their deliverance from from slavery in Egypt. They're now celebrating a new symbolic meal that we call the Lord's Supper, where they're looking back at Jesus' death and his resurrection as his provision for them for deliverance from sin and from death. And the verse that we've been looking at for the last uh, last couple of weeks, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Luke writes, he says that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we, re- we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is scripture, to fellowship, to their community, to their relationship with one another, to the breaking of the bread, which is what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or as communion. And to prayer. So they're devoting themselves to these four things to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we talk about the Lord's Supper, we talk about communion here at Renaissance. We use those two terms interchangeably. And the early Christians were devoting themselves, they were regularly practicing this, they were regularly celebrating this symbolic meal because it was essential to them to remind themselves of what Jesus had done for them. It had transformed their lives. Understanding that Jesus' body was broken for them, that his blood was shed for them, that Jesus had died so that they could live, that transformed their lives. And that's why they were devoted to this symbolic meal, not because they were trying to earn favor with God, not because it was a ritual that they had to do, but because it was a reminder of what Jesus had done for them. And that's why we, 2000 years later, take time here at Renaissance once a month uh, to celebrate communion, you know, because we live in incredibly busy times. There's all sorts of things going on in our lives. And, And if we're honest with ourselves, I think for all of us, it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to lose sight of the core of our faith as followers of Jesus. And that is his death for us and his resurrection that we could have new life. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a way to remind ourselves, to keep it fresh in our minds of what Jesus has done for us. And as I mentioned, when I was growing up, Passover was a meaningless ritual for me. We did it. I had no understanding of what it meant. And, and, and honestly, I think many of my relatives who understood intellectually what it meant. I don't know how much it really meant to them in their hearts, whether it really had a significance, whether they were really grateful for what God had done for our, for our ancestors. And I think the same can be true of the Lord's Supper if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes we don't actually understand what it means. We may have grown up in church and we've participated in, in that ritual, but no one's ever really explained it to us. Or maybe you're new to the, the whole Christianity thing, and you've never really understood it before because no one's ever explained it. That's what we're talking about this morning. And then there's others of us who have uh, practiced communion, who have celebrated the Lord's Supper time and time and time again, but it's become kind of a dry ritual. It's something that we do either because we feel like we have to because if we don't, God's going to be mad at us or something, and that's absolutely not true, or just because the familiarity just kind of makes it something that... that uh We almost ignore, we do it, but we're just going through the motions. And what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is to help us to gain, first of all, at least a little bit of a deeper understanding of the significance of the Lord's Supper, but I also want us to be able to approach it and to celebrate it with a full appreciation and not just a, a ritualistic obedience. To, uh, to a kind of a tradition that we don't really think about. So what I wanna do is give us a, a way of looking at communion by looking in four different directions as we're thinking about communion. And the first direction that we need to look at is back to the cross. So when we're celebrating communion, we need to look back to the cross. Passover is a time when the Jews look back on what God did when he brought his people out of bondage in Egypt. The Lord's Supper is a time when we, as Christians, look back at what Jesus did to bring us out of bondage to sin. Jesus said, as Paul records, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, which has already occurred, of course, until he comes. So what Jesus is saying is, as we celebrate communion, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we're, drinking the, when we're eating the bread, when we're drinking the wine or the grape juice, we're looking back at what Jesus had done in terms of his death for our sins. Paul says, when I do that, I'm proclaiming that Jesus died for my sins, I'm proclaiming that I am responsible for his death. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're proclaiming, I'm proclaiming that his death gives me life. And when you think about that, when you realize that Jesus died so that I could live, that's something to celebrate. That's something to get excited about. And that's why we talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper or celebrating communion. So as you're preparing your heart for communion, ask yourself this question, am I proclaiming Jesus' death? Am I proclaiming that Jesus died for me? And if so, then you should be excited to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So Direction one, look back at the cross. Then look up at God. We shouldn't participate in the Lord's Supper lightly. It's not just a ritual. It's not just an exercise for us to perform. As we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, we need to look up to God and we need to examine our hearts before him right after he explained the significance of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. It's a celebration, but it's a serious celebration. Why? Because we're talking about Christ's death for us. And so, we examine our hearts. We ask God to show us, is there any sin in my heart? Is there anything that's coming between me and you, God? And if there is, that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate communion, but it does mean that we need to confess that sin to God. The apostle John, who was there that night when Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Uh, the, 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 the Last Supper when they were celebrating that Passover meal. John writes, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. John is saying, if we say that we're perfect, we're wrong, we're lying. The truth is not in us. We're all sinful, we all fall short, we're all broken, we're all needy. And that doesn't disqualify us from taking communion. That's actually the whole point of communion. It's saying, I am imperfect, I am sinful, I am fallen. You, Lord, are not, and I need you. I need your death, I need your forgiveness, I need your cleansing, I need your grace. And so as we're examining our hearts and if if God brings to mind sin in our lives, we need to run essentially to the cross, run to him and say, please forgive me. I did this, it was wrong. I have this attitude, it's wrong. You told me to do this and I didn't do it. Please forgive me by your grace and because of your love. And so our sin doesn't disqualify us from celebrating communion if we come to God. And we confess and we ask for his forgiveness because communion is a celebration of Christ's death for sinful people like me and like you. So as you're approaching communion, ask yourself, is anything coming between me and God? If there is, don't hesitate for a second. Run to him, confess it to him. You don't need to ask somebody else to pray for you. You can pray directly to God and say, please forgive me. And he will, and then we celebrate the forgiveness that he's given to us when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So you look back at the cross, you look up to God, and then look around at the people around you. Look around at others. Because the, the, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And that's part of the reason why sometimes we refer to it as communion, because there's that aspect of community, the communion that we have both with God, but also with one another. Paul writes, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. It's a pretty serious statement that he's making. If we eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, we're eating and drinking judgment On ourselves. And last week, AJ, who's one of our our favorite guest speakers, was here and he, he talked about this. He talked about this concept that we are the body of Christ. We who are followers of Jesus, God refers to us as the body of Christ on earth, as the community of believers, of followers of Jesus. And our relationships with one another are incredibly important to God and they should be important to us. And so Paul is essentially saying, if there are issues between us that we are not making an effort to resolve, then we should not celebrate communion that particular day. And there have been times in my life, I can think of one particular situation where there were some people who were really upset with me about a particular situation and I had not had the opportunity to work that through with them. So I chose not to take communion because I wanted to get that resolved between me and them before I was willing to celebrate communion. And there's nothing wrong with that. So if there's something between you and somebody else and you haven't had the opportunity to work through it, to resolve it with them, it's okay, it's actually good to skip communion that particular week because God would rather have us get our relationships right with one another then celebrate communion when we're harboring anger and bitterness in our hearts to other people. Now, there are situations that are gonna arise where someone's gonna be upset with you and no matter what you do, you're not gonna be able to resolve that particular thing. Okay, that's fine. The apostle Paul talks about that elsewhere. He says, so far as it is possible with you Be at peace with everyone, but there are times when that's not gonna be possible. So examine your heart. Lord, so-and-so's upset with me. I've done everything that I can to resolve that situation. Help me to keep a right attitude towards them. Help me to love them. Help me to forgive them where I need to forgive them. And if the opportunity arises, help me to be reconciled with them. And then go ahead and celebrate communion. But if there's something going on between you and somebody else, and you're just unwilling to resolve that, Paul is saying that's a time when it's not appropriate to celebrate communion because you don't have that communion with the people around you. So ask yourself, is anything coming between me and others? And if there is, work to deal with that. And if you've done everything you can, then go ahead and celebrate communion without worrying about it. But again, make sure that your heart is right before God and your heart with other people is right with them as well. So we look back at the cross. We look up to God. We look around us to the people around us. And then we look, ultimately, we look forward to heaven. Paul says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul was talking about the fact that Jesus is one day going to return and he's going to take his followers to live with him forever in the new heaven and on the new earth. And we get to celebrate our eternal, unbroken, perfect relationship with him forever. And the Apostle John, the, the one who was talking about uh, our need and, and the blessing, the privilege that we have to confess our sins to God, that same Apostle John was given a glimpse of the future, of something that's going to happen in the future. And he wrote about it in the book of Revelation. And there, in, in one of the last chapters of that book, he talks about another meal that we're going to get to eat with Jesus. We who are his followers are going to get to eat with him when we're in heaven. And he writes about it in, in Revelation chapter 19. He says, Then the angel who was showing him these things said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Scripture talks about us from time to time. We who are followers of Jesus, he talks about us as the bride of Christ. And so we have that intimate relationship with Jesus in that way. But what's so interesting about the way he words this meal, it's a wedding supper of the lamb. It's kind of like the wedding reception that is celebrating our our unbroken, perfect, intimate, close relationship with Jesus. But it refers to Jesus as the lamb. If you think back, Jesus was saying effectively, I, Jesus, am the Passover lamb who is being sacrificed to you. And in the book of Revelation, the same imagery is picked up and we get to celebrate the wedding supper of the lamb because he sacrificed himself as our Passover lamb. And then John continues a couple of chapters later. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Because Jesus suffered for us, we will no longer suffer when we're with him. Because Jesus died, we will no longer die. Because Jesus lives, we will live and we'll get to be with him forever in a perfect, unbroken relationship where we'll see him as he is and we'll enjoy perfect communion with him. So when we're celebrating communion, yes, we're looking back to what he did. We're looking up to God we're looking around us to our relationship with other people, but we're also looking forward to that day where we're gonna have perfect communion with him. And so we ask ourselves this question, am I eager to be with Jesus? Am I looking forward to being with him? Because when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating the gift that Jesus gave us when he died for us. We're celebrating the communion that we have with God and the communion, the fellowship, the relationship that we have with one another. And later this morning, as, as Michael mentioned, after the second service, we're gonna celebrate uh, communion together. And as you're thinking about that, uh, maybe you'll be able to come back and, and, and join us for that after the second service. As you're thinking about that, again, I, I wanna encourage you uh, to... to Think about four different things and to look in those four directions. We want to look back at the cross. We want to look up to God. We want to look around ourselves at other people. And we want to look forward to heaven. And if as you do that, you say, you know what, I'm not ready to celebrate communion today, that's completely fine. It's completely reasonable. And it may be the the most appropriate thing for you to do because God wants us to wait to celebrate communion until our hearts are really ready and until we can do it, not ritualistically, but with it being a meaningful, symbolic tradition that reminds us of what Christ has done for us, the relationship that we have God, with God and one another and the, the privilege that we're going to have of spending eternity with Him in heaven. And, and so if that's where you are this morning, let me encourage you, just take some time think about it pray about it consider and ask yourself what would it take for me to be ready to celebrate communion what steps would i need to take in order to be ready to do that and if i can personally be of help to you or michael or or, or any of the uh, friends around you who may know jesus let me know i would love to talk to you about that and see how we can be of help to you as you're considering that but if you are ready to proclaim jesus death if you're ready to celebrate the lord's supper if you're ready to say Jesus died for my sins so that I could be restored to a right relationship with God and with other people. I hope that you'll come back at about 11.40 after the second service is over and celebrate communion with us. If this morning isn't a good time for you because you've got other plans, we celebrate communion about once a month. I'd love for you to join us at one of those times as well. Let me pray for us and then uh, the band is gonna come back up and we're gonna sing uh, one final closing song. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you gave us this tradition, this symbolic meal that we call the Lord's Supper. I thank you for instituting that for us uh, because you know how easy, easily we forget. And I pray that as we each consider whether or not we'll be celebrating communion this morning, I pray that uh, you would turn our hearts to you, you'd turn our hearts back to the cross, you'd turn our hearts towards one another and you'd turn our hearts toward heaven. And I pray that uh, we who celebrate communion would be excited to do so. And we're grateful, Lord Jesus, for your body that's broken for us and for your blood uh, that is shed for us. And I pray that uh, as we celebrate communion later, we would do so with grateful hearts, excited because of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.